There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. I am your host, your ghost host, M-W-A-H, M-W-A-H. Uh, this is a very special Halloween episode of the Nerdist Podcast, which is really only half Halloween-y. Um, this is uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and we recorded this several months ago when Neil was shooting episodes of Star Talk for the Nerdist Channel, which premiered November 1st. Nerdist Channel weekly show, Star Talk Radio, now a video show. Some of the shows are in studio, some of the shows are live. Uh, the first one is a live show with astronaut Mike Massimino. It's at the Bell House uh, in, um, might be in Brooklyn, but uh, also Kristen Shaw's in that episode, and I believe... Um, well, oh, Hodgman, I believe, is on the episode, too. So it's a, an amazing, amazing episode. So check it out, youtube.com slash Nerdist. Then click subscribe so you can see uh, Dr. Tyson and uh, Star Talk every week uh, because he's smart. He's pretty dang smart, and he's a badass. So that is that business. Then what I'm going to tack on at the end of this episode that you have the option of listening to or not is um, Liam Lynch was on the episode uh, was on the podcast a few episodes ago and he said he had this amazing ghost story. He was like, I've got to come back and tell this ghost story. And I said, okay, we'll do it for Halloween. So that's what he's done. Liam has, is t- has told this ghost story and sent us the file. It's about 20 minutes long. So you have the option of listening to it at the end if you want to celebrate the Halloween spirit, which you should because it's the greatest fucking holiday ever. Uh, and I'm, I'm bummed that it's over tomorrow. But I'm going to enjoy my Halloween burrito. See? I'm going to take my own advice. They're not just words that happen at the end of the podcast. Pumpkin spice. Thank you, Chloe. Yes, I'm going to enjoy my pumpkin spice burrito and all these insane Japanese Kit Kat flavors that we've got. I bought so many crazy Japanese Kit Kats, like blueberry cheesecake and strawberry nut roll, and I kind of made that one up. But there's a lot. Pumpkin pudding is one. Green tea Kit Kats. Oh, Japan, you are so far beyond us in Kit Kat technology and so many other technologies. Let's get it together, America. Let's get it together. Because people are coming here from other countries and taking Kit Kat jobs away from hard-working Americans. America! Sorry, I don't know what just happened. That, that's my Halloween costume. <laughs> that's my Halloween costume this year. It's a guy that, guy that just says, it's an audio costume. Thank you, Chloe. I appreciate that. What did you say last night when we were... 
talking to the podcast, you're like, I wasn't even born when blah, blah, blah. Oh, um, what was the Maximum Overdrive or some? Oh, yeah, I think I referenced. Maximum Overdrive. I referenced. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. And then I looked it up and it turned out that movie was, came out two years before I was born. Okay, you know what? Yeah. Go to your room. No Xbox for a week. But, da- I mean, Chris. Oh, gross! <laughs> gross! <laughs> Way out of bounds. Really? Yes. Really? I'm going to hire a referee just to blow a whistle at comments like that. <laughs> oh. That is horrifying. And perfect for Halloween. Happy creepy ween, everyone. <laughs> creepy ween. <laughs> now entering nerdist.com. fun to watch you play with a Rubik's Cube uh, a minute ago outside. Are you, are you a Rubik's Cube fanatic? You're revealing this to people. No, I'm not a fanatic. I, I, when I was in graduate school, when I really should have been studying for graduate exams, <laughs> the Rubik's Cube would just showed up and uh, I was committed to solve it. And I didn't want to solve it through anybody's instructions. Mm-hmm. People buy books so they can speed up faster and faster. I've never read a book, but I ultimately solved it like 400 hours later. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the fastest I ever did it was 76 seconds. Oh, my God. Well, that was in my day. Okay. We all have our day. Sure. Surely you had a day when you did something in 76 seconds. I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, to the detriment of the young woman I was with. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, uh, but now it just showed up. I mean, I did it once on, on Jon Stewart. And so now, like, people are sending me Rubik Cubes. It's, no, it's not a, I'm not fanatic about it. Because there is, there's another Chris Hardwick in the world, and that guy is actually, this is a true story, he's actually a Rubik's Cube champion. And there are videos of other Chris Hardwick solving blindfolded, solving Rubik's Cube with one hand. You go to his website, and he has these, like, crazy theoretical cubes that you have to solve with math, where they're just like, you know, X to the N sided cubes. So, so he's crossed over. He is crossed over. Now, now here, yeah. here's where I don't boast about my my what I can do with a Rubik's cube because online there's a Korean girl who is four sitting in a high chair solves the Rubik's cube in four minutes. Hmm. We're done. Yeah, we're done. You can't follow that. You can't follow that. Just let <laughs> and her hand candy isn't even big enough to hold the cube, and she solves it in four minutes. So I said, this is just a hobby. It's not a is there, are there, are there people that can see the logic of the cube and understand how to manipulate three-dimensional space uh, to do their bidding? <laughs> do I, I guess there are, but most people I know who are really good at it just did a lot of reading. Then yeah. I said, what good is that? Then you didn't really solve the puzzle. You found the recipe to solve the puzzle. I, the first time I solved it, I had wedged all the pieces out and put them back you together. You can, you can pull them back. And some people say, well, you didn't solve it. I go, it's a different kind of problem solving. And, and I, I was hoping you wouldn't say you remove the stickers. <laughs> no, well, I tried that once, <laughs> that's, too. That's also a solution in principle. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's not the intended one. But no. <laughs> yeah, that, that's basically just the, uh, that's the superficial solution, which unfortunately... Here's the problem. We, in our culture, are breeding people who care more about the answer than the path to the answer. Of course. So that we say, solve this, they just pull out the stickers, look, 
it is solved, mm -hmm. but they actually have no meaningful solution path to get there. Right. Because we don't promote pathways, only the right answer. And that this is a problem, a well, deep, a deep, a deep, deep. Uh, it's shortcoming of our it's education a, because system. we're impatient. We're impatient, and we want we 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 are addicted to convenience. Yeah, I, I'd rather. Okay, you're impatient, but the day you actually have to solve something, what do you do? You you're 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 up nothing. You're you're you're, you're stumped. What you need to do is when you're looking at a black hole, you just need to rearrange the stickers on it. That's the lesson that's learned here. I just need to rearrange. Oh, the problem. Okay, here's the problem with these planets. You just need to move the stickers no, around. No, no, no. Here it is. No, no. It's 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 because we're also a multiple choice society. Right. And I figured this out. My 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 sister. I, I said, you know, let's go out to lunch. Where do you want to go? You know, her reply was, "What are my choices?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, invent something out of your head. Come up with something on your own, because we only get multiple choices. And if you're about to fall into a black hole, what do you do? Our brain is saying, "Well, what are my choices?" Mm -hmm. When maybe the actual answer is a pathway not imagined by the person who gave you the choices to begin with. Maybe you're cleverer than they are. Interesting. So if you're ever in that lifeboat and there's only food for four, but there's six people, do you eat the other two? Do you throw them overboard? Usually you're given a set of choices. My reply to that is, I'm cleverer than the person who set up those choices. I might find another way to create a net, gather fish, so we don't have to eat the other two people on the lifeboat. Sure. There could be solutions you haven't thought of. What if one of them looks delicious? <laughs> Had you thought about? I hadn't, I hadn't considered that fact. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think. But there's also there's also a problem with having, you know, people think they want choices, but then it's stressful when you have too many choices. Yeah, like we just renovated, and I had to choose the color paint for the walls. Mm -hmm. It's like there should not be that many choices. You can have any. You went Tardis blue, right? <laughs> Tardis blue. That's the only color. You, that's acceptable. That's a nice blue. It is a nice blue. It's a deep blue. It's that's a cool blue. It's a good blue. Tardis blue. Yep. It's uh, it's been all over the universe. It's a little dark for a room, though. I think. <sighs> all right. So on the outside of your Tardis. Would you paint the uh, the doorway Tardis blue? That would work. And then, but then, then inside you, then is you your laboratory. Portal, right. Yeah. Um, so we're on the set of Star Talk right now. The tel the the video version of Star Talk. Um, and uh, I, I'm super excited. You you've you've re you've been wrangling some great talent on the show as well. Well, they, I, I think it's, you know, we've had Morgan Freeman, we've yep. had Whoopi Goldberg, we've had, uh, who else we had? We've had, um, uh, some names? Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, thank you. We had Dr. Ruth. Yep. Yes, there's Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth. You had Dr. Ruth. Yes. She must be in her. She was in this chair. Yesterday. Oh my God. Yes. Was she standing on it? it? She's wee. She's I didn't a wee know lady. if she was standing or sitting. There's no, <laughs> no, she's, she, a, she's a tiny lady. She's actually quite candid about her height. She's 4'7", in uh -huh. case you were wondering. Yes. A few inches shorter than average, but yep. she's, she's a mighty mo, and it was great. And we talked about, what do you think we talked about? Uh, space sex? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. She said that if she ever went into space, and I said, you know, do you want to have, like, sex in zero G? She said, yeah, like, why not? And I said, okay, we can send you there. And she said, oh, plus, if you get permission from your wife, I'll take you with me. So it was <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, you were propositioned by Dr. I was, Ruth. I was so propositioned by Dr. Ruth. Can I tell you, I think that sleeping with Dr. Ruth is not even, like, cheating. Like, no one could get upset about that. <laughs> They'd be like, well, of course you have to sleep with her. It's Dr. Ruth. 
I mean, she's 84. <laughs> like, she's... Right, I mean, you might learn a few things, You right? might right? learn, you, especially from her. What have two people ever done with sex that she doesn't know about, right? So she's got the... Listen, all I'm saying is you both study black holes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, another interesting... I don't know how to back out of that. That was too... That was one step too filthy. Mm. But Alan Rickman was on. Alan Rickman. You, I assume you did not talk about uh, space sex with Alan Rickman. How, how did you? Do you know Alan? I, you know, I got people who know people, and I know people, so we got people. What? You don't have people? I have some people, but I don't have Alan Rickman people. Uh, and I got Alan. I got people. What did you guys? What did you guys talk about? Well, so yeah, I mean, he's an actor, right? Yeah. And he's he has some interesting science fiction roles. Sure. You know, he was in, in Galaxy Quest. One of the best. Wasn't that a crazy movie? And the fun. fact that it's a comedy and still one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Right, right, right. So he's in there, and I got his sort of reaction to that. Got him to chat a little bit about the magic of Harry Potter. He hadn't heard the, the Arthur C. Clarke edict about magic. Recite it, please. I, I don't know yes, it. Yes, you do know it. I don't know the Arthur I will take away your credentials. Oh, man. Man. Arthur C. Clarke. On magic, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. from magic. Yes, okay, I do know that. I do know that. I'm, Should I'm I believe so, him? I'm no. sorry. I did. I did know that actually. Okay. I, I did know that. Which I always is always an interesting point to me when you when you. When... Did anyone get crushed by the wall? <laughs> did anyone die? All right, okay. good. We're still rolling, right? Yeah, we're okay. Still rolling. Let's just do a pick up. Keep going. I. Uh, that anyone? was magic. <laughs> we were just talking about magic, yeah. um, but when you when you start getting into the idea of um, you know mythology and religion and science, and then go well, how do you explain this? It's like, well, maybe we just haven't figured out how to explain it yet. Well, so of course point. it looks like magic now. Exactly. People always need and want the ready-made explanation. I think most people are uncomfortable with ignorance or uncertainty, whereas you cannot be a research scientist unless you, in fact, embrace it. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, you learn to love the questions themselves. Because not all not all answers are in arm's reach. So do you feel like you either now or perhaps ever? So do you feel like you don't know anything still? I am impressed with what I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good what way to put keeps it. Keeps me going every day. I loved your quote about, um, which I'm sure I believe I saw on Reddit. Uh, about stupid. You read it on Reddit. Read it on Reddit about stupid design, about embracing stupid, uh, like. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in a few places commenting on it. But what I said was that uh, science is a philosophy of discovery, and in, in, intelligent design is a philosophy of ignorance. Mm -hmm. It takes something we don't understand, and then you start saying, well, there's the higher intelligence. Well, you didn't really explain it. You didn't, you, you, what you're saying is, I don't understand it. So here's this ready-made explanation that I'm going to apply every time I don't understand something. Right. And so I gave evidence of cases where all the world is not intelligent. I mean, it's kind of really stupid, actually. Yeah. You know, like, my favorite example is, like, what's going on between our legs? You know? Yeah. You got this, like, sewage system mixed with an entertainment complex, you know? <laughs> it's like, like, no engineer would have designed that at all, okay? So uh, other things, you know, you got tsunamis and earthquakes and, 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 and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and Earth wants to kill us. Yeah. People say, oh, Earth is a haven for like, no, it's not. No. No. 70% of the places I drop you butt naked on Earth, you're dead 15 minutes later. We create environments for us to thrive in and we adjust the thermostat so it's within a three degree temperature and we say, oh, isn't Earth perfect for us? <laughs> no. 
No. It took 10,000 years to get to that. That's so, what I'm yeah. <laughs> to earn that thermostat. Yeah. And so, so no, Earth is not a, is, no, the, the universe is messed up. And they talk about the order of the cosmos. Yeah, tell that to the dinosaurs as they watch the, the asteroid hit them. Yeah, the order of their death. Yeah. They and 70% of all the species of life on Earth at that time went extinct. Well, um, I, I just, uh, I, I love the idea. I, I, I don't, I've always said that the human body is a bad design. That it's, uh, that it, it's like, and I, this is a gross example, but I use like, the fact that we have to wipe our asses is a bad design. <laughs> like, that's a bad, that's inefficient. I, I have a worse design. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind wiping my ass. Okay. What I mind is I breathe, eat, and drink mm -hmm. through the same hole in my body. <laughs> guaranteeing, because this is a species property, guaranteeing that some percent of humans will choke to death every single year. Right. Now, that's an easy problem to solve. Dolphins eat and breathe through two different holes in their body. Mm -hmm. No dolphin ever choked on a ham sandwich trying to breathe. No. And at an, at an all-you-can-eat salad bar, like a dolphin, <laughs> you can't compete with them. Because people have They're to stop to eating. breathe. They're just breathing and eating at the same time. There it is. Never take one to like a sizzler. Uh, it, you will, you'll go broke. That's, so that's, I think that, so that put, it, we could die. Mm -hmm. So some other things. So for example, we live 80 years, but in eight weeks, of no food, you're dead. Mm -hmm. In eight days of no water, you're dead. Eight minutes of no air, you're dead. Yet we live 80 years. <laughs> Yet all these things can kill us in just in these short periods of time. So we set up the system so that we don't die. Right. Just think about that. The whole system is so that we don't die. <laughs> yeah, so that true. we can try to live out at least most of these 80 years. Yeah. I'm just saying. To try to learn as much as we can in that amount of time. To tell the next people, like, oh, here's a bunch of shit we figured out. Good so, luck. So that you, and, and here's what we figured out so you don't die. Right. Right. Here's how you guys cannot die. Right, exactly. We'll try to invent these pills so you cannot die some more. Exactly. Now, talk about dying. Can I tell you, give you a spooky thought? Yes. Go back to 1900 and ask every, take a poll. Okay. Hey, everyone. Here we are back in 1900. Sure looks great. What are you most afraid of dying from? Uh, and people gave a list. It was like famine. Uh, tuberculosis, uh, what else? Jack the Ripper. The, yeah, I mean, so that list did not include killer asteroids. No. It didn't include viruses. It didn't include so many things today we would list that we fear, our li we fear for our lives. And so that leaves you wondering, in the year 2100, what would that list look like? Oh, God. What could be the causes of death in that century that we have yet to even dream of. And they'll look back and say, oh, how quaint, they were afraid of asteroids. We just have our little defense system here. That's not even a problem. What they don't know about is this. Right. So I stay awake at night wondering, what could kill me that I've yet to dream of? Oh, that's so mind-bendy. And, and horrif that's mind-bendy and horrifying at the same time. That's the best kind of mind-bend. The kind <laughs> that keeps, I stay awake at night. And I want everyone else to stay awake at night, too, <laughs> trying to resolve this. Th these are the unknown unknowns. How important, because uh, uh, obviously the, the episode of the TV show that I'm going to put this in is, is all, all about science. Um, science rocks. Science rocks. 
Uh, I think anyone who listens to the show or watches the show would, would tend to agree with you. To be scientifically literate is to empower yourself to know when someone else is full of shit. Right. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, you can swear. <laughs> swear a lot. It's fine. It when someone else is full of doo-doo. Yeah. You, you, you have an understanding of the properties of the laws of physics, so someone comes up to you and tries to sell you crystals, and they say, well, rub these together and you'll be healed. And you say, well, what are they made of? And how many people have they healed? And what ailments do they heal? And what is the mechanism? And how much do they cost? And where are they from? And what is the molecular structure? The person runs away in tears. Because the science literacy is not knowing the answer. You might know the answer, but that's not what's fundamental. What's fundamental is the capacity to inquire about what is true and what is not in this world. Mm -hmm. And that is the empowerment, the power of inquiry. Do you, feel like we, do you feel like we have to fully understand something to believe it? No. Dark matter, for example, mm -hmm. we don't understand that worth a damn. But we measure it. We measure the effect. If you can measure it, it's a contender. Okay. It's something you must reckon. And there's a famous quote by Logan Clendenning who said, no science achieves maturity without first developing a system of measurement. Oh, yes. And think about that. Look at how immature, for example, the field of psychology is, mm -hmm. especially clinical psychology. There's no system of measurement. Yeah, how are you going to measure someone's depression? Maybe, oh, is it zero to ten? I mean, they just never had the systems of measurement. And so now we have whole hospitals filled with mental patients. So with physics has the benefit of many centuries of thinkers that have preceded modern day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, well, I can tell you within a second what time the sun is going to rise tomorrow, when you're going to have an eclipse, and when, you, when the, 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 the moon changes phases, and, and even the trajectory of that asteroid that could have our name on it. I have the power to do that. And so science is the, the, the most, the ones that have progressed the farthest are those that early established ways of measuring phenomena that they care about. What was it that you told me earlier about the eclipse? You said it's, it's actually a misnomer. Oh, it's a geeky, it's a geeky thing. Yeah. I to, but it's, it's stupidly, it's, it's... It's a fun geeky thing, oh, Okay. So it, 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 it crosses the fun threshold. This is geek. the fun threshold. Okay, okay. Because I, I said, I said, oh, look... You just eclipsed, you know, I, I, I made some comparison to you eclipsing someone, and you said, well, technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an eclipse is a, one object passing into the shadow of another object. Okay. That's an eclipse. So a lunar eclipse is the moon moving into Earth's shadow in space. Mm -hmm. We cast a huge conical shadow, and it's always there. You don't know it's there until something lit up goes into it, mm -hmm. and then it disappears. So that's an eclipse. Whereas when the moon comes around to this side and passes between us and the sun, the sun is not being blocked by a shadow. The sun is being blocked by an object. Mm -hmm. And that's an, called an occultation, officially. An occultation. Occultation. So a solar eclipse is not really an eclipse. It's an occultation. So, but Occultation is one object goes in front of the other. Just, it's a technicality. And, but I don't fault anybody. I'm not, it's not like, like Jim Cameron when I got on his case about the wrong sky. Right. It's not that bad. Uh, 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 we use it. It's a solar eclipse. It's traditional. I won't fault you for it. So the song should have been Total Occultation of the Heart. That's <laughs> exactly. Technically. Yeah, think about it. Nothing total blockage. Total Occultation of the Like it really doesn't fit the meter that <laughs> they, well. They, I think Occultation has a kind of rhythm to it. Occultation. So had, had they started with the word 
occultation, a different rhyme would have come out. Uh, <laughs> what was the Lionel Richie song you guys were trying to figure out? I don't know. No, I won't even admit that we were trying to sing Lionel Richie an hour ago. I think it was All Night Long. Was that the one was no, like... No, no, no. It was... Uh, 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 what was it? The Hello? Oh, it's hello. Me. Is that how it is goes? It, yeah. Is it me you're, you're looking, looking for? for? <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, it's the one with the with the blind girl who makes the oh, yeah, that was so, sculpture. That was, oh my gosh. Yeah. Out of his Adelino Rich's one face. Of, one of the, the forgettable videos. <laughs> but he they love each other so much. They love each other so much. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> Kind of messed up to say, is it me you're looking for to a blind lady? Well, the, all, this is what I'm saying. I don't know who thought up that premise. Not cool, Lionel Richie. You look at that and you say, now I know why they don't play videos anymore. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> these are the examples of why they don't. Well, people stopped watching videos. Like, that, you know, like there was a period in the, in the early to mid-80s where it was like, music videos. You had to. And you then there to. was a harsh decline, and that's why MTV started putting on television, like programming shows. Because people just got over music videos pretty quickly and yeah. they just didn't watch them that much anymore. Wait, but you have the rest of all your channels to watch shows, so I'm still surprised. Mm. No, the music video shows were the lowest rated shows on television at the time. And that's why they started doing game shows and programming and, and all contests and stuff was because people just, people actually stopped watching music videos in the, in the mid-80s. It's weird that some switch got turned to make that happen. I guess it was, I guess when you first see that like a place where music videos are aggregated, you go, what an amazing idea. And then after a while, you're like, these are the same... <laughs> Ten, how many times can I be surprised? You know what music videos did? It completely changed the natural edit length mm -hmm. of what you're accustomed to seeing. If you look at videos, if you look at 1980 video, yeah. there are long two-minute cuts in that video. One minute, now it's three seconds at yeah. most. Seconds. Well, our attention spans, do you think we could ever go back? Or do you think attention spans are just ruined forever? I think it's ruined forever. I think it is. Now you can't look at something because we're visually stimulated. That's what feeds us. And so what do you do? Do you ever stare at the same thing for a minute? No, you're looking around like this. So I, I think it is, it is a property of the fact that you get, all, you get a lot of information quickly in one glance. And then I'm done. Let me get another glance. Yeah. And so the video version of that is have a cut, the three-second cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and How then, long do you have to look at Paula Abdul's butt? Okay? You get three-second view. You go on to the next shot. Yeah. Or, or Madonna. I mean, it's there. I, actually, for me, it's 76 seconds. Oh, you I that. Yeah, 76 <laughs> seconds. Um, <laughs> in, in, as, in as much as you, as you kind of have... Did you actually use that word? But in as much is that not a, is that is that no, I, I in so far as I, yeah <laughs> I tweeted recently about words that just have too many words in them in as much in, nevertheless nevertheless in as much yeah yeah uh, there's a bunch of words like this and what concerns me is the poor word a lot people say that's two words damn it no come on it's uh, don't tell me nevertheless is one word but I can't glue together a uh, and lot sorry that's lot. the way it is yeah I don't I don't buy that. So yeah. I'm going to start a lot movement. Insofar as nevertheless as much, <laughs> I guess uh, 
that you you <laughs> heretofore <had> we have <laughs> heretofore with her as well to the Pluto, a lot. Don't you feel sympathy for her? Oh, it's the Pluto of uh, of, of, of word <laughs> the combos. <unloved> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a we'll call it a dwarf <laughs> phrase. Dwarf. <laughs> it's a multi-word wannabe. It yeah, is. Okay. Uh, but I interrupted. I'm sorry. You must you be at least this tall to ride this word ride. Um, I guess it's just the idea that 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 you uh, you have this quest to promote science, and there and that that it is a difficult, it's surprisingly difficult quest in 2012. Whereas I, you know, we always had this vision of the future as like, oh, people will be more enlightened and people will be more of this, and we'll all understand science a lot better. And and I feel like. A lot of people just willfully reject it anyway. We're, I think even worse now than even like 20 years ago. You know what we have to do? We have to compel people to be embarrassed for not knowing about science. Yeah. And I think that's the only way to do it. Then they'll come to it on their own. Yeah. Otherwise, you're beating them over the head, and you know that's no fun for either side. No, but you have. But so you you have you know like you have you have people who haven't learned science yet. You have science deniers, and then also this like weird pseudoscience movement as well of people that frame. Nons nonsense in ways that sound scientific, right. but actually it's a facade for an empty house. I'm thinking of the 60s when we're going to the moon. It was hard for someone to rise up with a strong pseudoscience posture back then because science, technology, and engineering was delivering to you in the pages of the daily papers the fruits and benefits of being scientifically literate. Mm -hmm. You had no place to stand back then. Yeah. It was writ large on... The headlines, and now what? What headlines are there any science headlines? Well, I guess there are. You know, the the particle accelerator in Europe, but it's not here, right? Right. right. So, uh, is there anything else? No. It's bad economy headlines every day. So I say, let's go to Mars, or go to ask, stop that asteroid headed our way, or let's go hang out on the moon. That that mining story about asteroids, that that took some headlines. That got that some was headlines. a very interesting. The idea of the idea of basically. Of, of shifting to a culture of space miners where yes. we locate all of these asteroids. Here we are killing each other because your left butt cheek is over a, a reservoir of oil yeah. or, a, or, or some kind of That oil did metal. not come from my body, by the way. That was there when I sat down. I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> the iron drop, the, the, the iron deposit. Was yeah, it was, it was already there. <laughs> so you get this, and what are we doing here? I'd be embarrassed. If an alien landed, they say, hey, how, where are you getting your resources? Well, we're killing each other over this line in the sand because we dig it out of the earth. Yeah. Well, how are you getting your energy? We're digging that out of the earth, too. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed. I say, alien, you know, give us another hundred years. Maybe we'll figure this one out. <laughs> Don't you get it from the sun? How about the minerals and the asteroids? How about the, you know, asteroids? You know why you get minerals and asteroids? Asteroids are fragments of planets that never stayed whole. They want to become a planet in the early solar system. They're molten. They're gaseous first and then perhaps molten. When you're molten, heavy things fall to the middle. Light things float. Then you freeze. You freeze it out. Okay. Freeze meaning it solidifies. Sure. So now it, it already did the filtering for you. It already did the sifting. So now another body comes in, smashes it, and I have chunks of asteroid that are hewn from the core of a planet that never made it. And it's got all the heaviest ingredients there. You've got your iron, which we got here in plenty of But all the rest of the heavy elements are concentrated there. Iridium, platinum, gold, osmium, uh, tungsten, all these precious metals that we use in industry and in the military. It's all there. 
they're chunks of rocks sitting out there waiting to be kissed. That are flying by the earth. Flying by the earth. And we're still, excuse me, I gotta pull this out of the ground. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how primitive that activity is. How far off do you think we are from, from space mining? A zillion years. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I 50 years maybe. Okay. Yeah. I was in the airport the other day and uh, there was a guy, the guy in front of me in the security line. It was the weirdest thing I've ever heard at a security line where everyone's taking all their laptops out and then, and he puts a bunch of stuff into the, into the bin and then he says to the TSA, TSA officer, I just want to let you guys know I have a lot of tungsten here. And I could, I, and it was weird, A, that he pointed it out, B, that he thought that they would think anything of it, and C, why does someone carry a lot of tungsten around? <laughs> what is the purpose of, of carrying tungsten around? Well, tungsten has a very high melting point. So uh, that's why it's the filament of choice in light bulbs. Okay. Yeah. But why would this guy have a bunch of tungsten just I'm, I'm loose? not authorized to say. Oh, all right. Oh, oh. <laughs> Dead. Tungsten's cool. No, I, I once carried a meteorite through security, and I thought, should I declare it in advance? And I did this coincidentally on the anniversary of September 11, 2002, in Dulles Airport outside of Washington. I have a meteorite. I have a 15-pound meteorite. It's in a box. And I thought, do I call in advance and prepare? Then I thought, that would call too much attention to it, and then they get spooked. So I said, I'll just go up there with the meteorite. I mean, it probably just looks like a rock that you bought at a, at a museum, you know, like at a store, right? No? No. This is a metallic meteorite, which would be opaque to x-rays. Oh. This is a blob thing that they cannot see through going through the air. So I just put it there, walk through, and I said, uh, excuse me, what's in this box? I said, oh, it's just a meteorite. <laughs> I said, it's just as cool as can be. And then one person uh, recognized me. He said, hey, oh, you're the guy from the museum with the space? And I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And they all crowded around and looked at the meteorite, and they touched it. And so it was a, little, it was a scene, but I, I got it through. When they all touch it, you go, uh, you're all mutants now. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I didn't say you should sterile. You're not supposed to touch that. <laughs> Is there any fear of, of, of space mining and bringing, uh, bringing any kind of uh, particle? Yeah, anything back to Earth that shouldn't be here. The Andromeda strain. Right, exactly. Exactly, the Andromeda strain. I'm not authorized to. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> they could be. I mean, they did this with the Apollo astronauts. They came back from the moon, they quarantined them, and they studied to see if there were any moon bugs that came with them. And th that was kind of cool, but I kept thinking, wait a minute, the capsule that came from the moon splashed down in our ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then you fished them out of the water. Now you put him in a quarantine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a little late, I think. You yeah. Know, but uh, they found no bugs, nothing, you know, no known life. The moon, we wouldn't expect it to have, like, thriving organics. Right. Uh, so, so our expectations were fulfilled. You know. It'd be pretty amazing to, I, I, was, I was also, I, this website, io9, uh, just recently had an article about how stuff about me shows up there every now and then. So maybe you pop up there a little no, bit. Every from now time and then it shows a hey. Yeah. yeah. You're very you're very popular. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're no, very popular. I don't popular. think about it. I just try to do my thing. Yeah. I um but IO9 had a story about yes, Star Trek did inspire a lot of things that became a reality in terms of communicators and, and whatnot and inspired a generation of people. But most of the most of it was wrong. And the first the first example was spaceships. We don't <laughs> 
have. We are not a spaceship culture. There's no, we don't, it's example number one. There's no way to travel from point A to distant point B. Um, you know, just the the logistics that would be involved. So that so you know, th there are now these theories like now if we if we travel, if there is interstellar travel, it's basically like we're going to have to upload our personalities onto a cube yeah, and, and send it. The fastest piece of hardware we've ever sent is in motion now to Pluto. Yeah. It, the first rule of scientific experiments are you get your results before you die. Okay, so Pluto is very far away. I have my colleagues that are working on Pluto. Yeah. It's their whole suite of launch vehicles where it would get there in 2030, 2040. They said, no, well, give me your biggest engines. But now you have to make the payload small. So the big engines propel something small. So it was small craft, big engines. It, it passed the moon in like six hours. I mean, the thing was oh booking. My oh my gosh. It was hauling. And so it'll get to Pluto in uh, three years now. Three so, years? Well, well, three years from now. Yeah, it was launched uh, about five years ago, yeah. What are some of the best images that we have of Pluto so far? The Hubble telescope was getting the best ones, but as this thing gets closer, it'll get better and better and better. So, but it's still this, uh, it has very, a big contrast between light and dark. So there's still, it's still a mystery. I mean, is it? And just so you know, I'm on you. I'm on, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ahead of you. Don't at the end of it say, so does that mean Pluto should still be a planet? <laughs> no, I wouldn't okay. dare. We covered this the last time That's you were on. That's what I'm saying. We covered this the last time you were on. But is, is there anything, you know, as we get better, higher resolution images of, of you know, planets in our solar system or even, or even data from distant stars, I mean, are we still discovering shocking things about these bodies or is it sort of confirming or within the neighborhood of things we thought we We have we some expectations. Uh, let me tell you the biggest shocker of, of them all, we go look for planets that don't orbit our sun, mm -hmm. exoplanets, yep. and we say, okay, we have our solar system. We must be representative of all solar systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, why not? It's actually called the Copernican principle. All right. Noting that you're not special. Okay. <laughs> That's the. What a great way to tell someone <laughs> their kid's not special. He's <laughs> uh, the Copernican it's principle. It's the Copernican principle. Yeah. Yes, oh, yes. that sounds fancy. Yeah, yes. You, you're, chances are you're average. All right. <laughs> uh, but it's true. Earth is not the biggest or the smallest planet. The sun is not the hottest. It's not the coldest. It's not the biggest. It's not the smallest. We're the porridge gold. We're, we're in a in a suburban arm in the galaxy in an ordinary galaxy. Yeah. It was, it was nothing special. Okay. So we go to look for other solar systems, other star systems, and what we find are big Jupiters orbiting really close to the host star. We had come up with theories of the formation of star systems that would sort of look like ours. Sure. If we are at some metric of what is mm -hmm. in the cosmos. And so the planets were in all places that we could not understand. We had to invent a whole new theory of, 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 star, for, of star formation and star system formation to account for that. Is that exciting to a group of scientists when they go, holy crap, we get to come up with this whole new... Yes! We are seduced by ignorance. Because therein are the places where new ideas can thrive. Mm-hmm. We're called to it. And is that what we need to be instilling into people is the idea of discovering new ideas instead of clinging to old, No, because ones. new ideas are rare. You have to have them embrace the quest. Okay. Because that quest doesn't always land on a new idea, but the quest will always be interesting. Because you learn things, you learn ways to not do things. Sure. That's the famous quote from Thomas Edison. I, I, I'll... I'll mess it up if I try to get it exactly, but it was something like, you know, he tried all these different materials to figure out what he should use 
for the filament of his Edison light bulb. Finally lands on tungsten. Can I take a guess to make up for the Arthur C. Clarke one? It was something to the effect of, I didn't fail 99 times. I learned 99 ways to not make a light bulb. Was it something like that? It was. Uh, we'll give you B plus. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> at least I proved that I was I was in the neighborhood. You're in, you're in the in the hood. Okay. It, what was the in the geek hood? What was the actual quote? No, no. It was, it was close to that. It was, it was whatever was the number. Yeah. They said, "Don't you feel bad about all this time you wasted just to find tungsten?" And he said, "No, I didn't waste the time. I, just, I found you know 99 ways to not. You know, I find 99 objects that do. 99 but a bitch ain't one." <laughs> Nobody? Really? Just, I'm the only J. Z. Sorry. 99 elements that will not work in a light bulb. So that's, so that's the slow way to get to the result. Usually you need sort of a theory of understanding sure. so that you can be pre selective. Yeah. You don't want to just randomly go through the lab. I mean, I, 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 love, I love the idea of Edison too, and I, I just because. I think some people have a sense of like he wasn't just one guy working by himself, and it, like he had a team of yeah, people, a huge that were constantly huge, huge, yeah. almost like an artist colony of scientists. Yes, yes, exactly. And they were under his guidance, and he had yeah. certain ideas, and he had the funding, and he paid their salaries. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Steve Jobs today was like that. I always, I, I yeah. tried to make that comparison to Steve Jobs to Edison, and someone's like. You're full of shit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He didn't, he didn't design the iPhone. He hired the right people to carry out his vision. Correct. Correct. He had a vision, and he put so the architects in place. So why are they saying they don't like your analogy? I don't know. They just, I don't know, because some people... So slap them. I would on to the next person. Neil, if I took the time <laughs> to slap <laughs> everyone online that I wanted to slap, I would be in the slapping business, and I would have to give up everything else that I do, because there's no shortage of people you want to slap online. And I don't even know how someone in your position who probably gets, you know, as much as you have supporters, you also probably have violent detractors who who want to tell you how wrong and awful of a person you are when you just say something very simply that you have discovered. And I don't know how, here's how do how, you emotionally... Here's how, I get, here's how I get around that. I hardly ever express an opinion. Oh. Oh, that's, oh, that's good. No, think about that. And so I'll give you an example, a perfect example. I am quoted as saying, God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Okay? Mm -hmm. Dude, somebody put that on a t-shirt. Signed, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Now that sounds audacious, right? Just getting out there in the ring. But that's, that's incomplete. That's not actually the full thing that I said. I said, if God is the frontier of what we yet understand in the universe mm -hmm. to you, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Oh, okay. Okay? There is not an opinion in that sentence. That is an if-then statement. A conditional clause. A conditional clause. And so, given that, what's important there is, I'm, uh, there are people who say, well, what, they asked me, what was before the universe? I, I, I don't know. Well, that was God. They say, well, what is dark matter? I say, I don't know. Well, that's the spirit of God. Yeah. So they're jumping into the sort of the God of the gaps yeah. mode. And I say, if that's what God is to you, then God is a 
ever receding pocket of scientific ignorance. And so if you take only half that quote, it looks like I'm handing you my opinion. Right. But in fact, with the if-then clause, it is true no matter what. And it, what it does is you cannot then argue with me because that, that's, not a, that's not a me statement. It's a, it's, it's a logically constructed sentence. And you might have issues with the sentence, but you can't have issues with me. That's the point here. Yeah. So I hardly ever express opinions. That's really interesting. I'll I, give you another, another one. Another one. You know, I have a book that just came out recently about space exploration. Uh -huh. And people say, oh, I'm on a hobby horse trying to get people interested in space. No. I'm trying to get you to understand why, if you're not interested in space, it will undermine the stability of your economy. And then I present that argument. So at the end of the day, you take ownership of your understanding of the causes and effects of things, and it doesn't even require reference back to me because it is an enlightened position that you now have that you didn't have before. Interesting. So that's why I'm, people, I don't get attacked. I really don't. Good. It sounds like you get attacked all the time. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get attacked because as an educator, it's not about me. It's never about me. It's about the knowledge and wisdom of the natural world and how your, your knowledge and wisdom of that can empower you to make decisions that you take ownership of. So I'm duty-bound as a scientist and as an educator to share this information with you. What you do with it after that in a free society, that's your business. I don't lobby Congress. I don't lead marches. I don't give speeches at rallies because that implies you want people to do what you do and to say what you say. I never care about that. All I want people to do is be enlightened. And then they vote for whoever the hell they want. Yeah. And in a free society, well, you have the right to do that. I don't talk to members, I get invited in, but I don't, I don't seek to influence members of Congress because they're duly elected from some base of, of voters. Why should I do an end run on the wishes of those voters? And then, the, so suppose I even influence that member of Congress. Then two years later, they voted out, someone else comes. I got to go back and influence another one? Isn't it more efficient to enlighten the electorate in the first place? Because they're there every two years. Let's, and so for me, the goal is a smarter country. For me, the goal is people who can think for themselves. How do we achieve that? <laughs> I guess if we knew that, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. Well, you, you, you think for yourself not by telling them what to think, but by training them how to think. Sure. Yeah, well, we, don't, we certainly don't. Um, I mean, if you look at the education system, a lot of it doesn't really train kids how to think necessarily. It's like here's... Not at all. It's like here's the lesson plan, learn it, you test it on it. There it is. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, when I was younger, uh, and I'd be in like English class or whatever, and they'd say, well, like for instance, conditional, well, this is a conditional clause. And I go, okay, I guess that's a conditional clause. And it wasn't until I went to high school and studied Latin that I went back and, I, and then I really understood, oh, this is why these things are the way they are, and that's what that means, and that's... Now you take oh, ownership I, of the knowledge. Yeah, exactly, and, it's, it's, and you kind of feel like, oh, I get it now, rather than just, I'm regurgitating a bunch of shit right. I heard. Right, right, that's the difference between... That's the difference. People think you go to school so that they can fill your mind, but it really, a proper training turns an empty mind into an open mind. 
But as much as people are addicted to comfort, and I think holding on to old ideas, I think there's there's such a addicted chemical... Addicted to comfort, I like that. They are addicted to comfort. Do you hear, do you hear the, the contrast between the British and the French? Have you ever heard that one? No. It's the British spend money on comforts, but that same money when spent by the French is spent on pleasures. <laughs> and if you look at the two cultures, there it is. Yeah. You know. The, Brit the, the British, he's got the cigar and the sherry and the comfort comfortable chair. In France, they have the wine, the food, the, you know, yep. the debauchery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so how you spend your time, yeah. But also, there's such a, there's such a chemical reward for learning things and understanding things. And it's like, how do we, you know, I almost feel like you have to trick people en masse with their own physiology of like, here, see, this actually I feels like good. the chemical award, re reward concept, because that's how you felt. Whatever chemistry coursed in your body and your mind when you took Latin and f figured out what that other thing meant, mm -hmm. something changed in you. It felt good, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course. No, it didn't just feel good, it felt good. It felt really good. Good, good. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the aha moment, and I think we all have that capacity and that power. And so as the educator, I try to seek to instill an aha moment in whoever will, will listen. <laughs> but sometimes you can create something that they are drawn to, and then you don't have to beat them over the head. That's the kind of electorate I want. And that'll, that electorate will ensure that tomorrow is a more advanced state of the nation than today. Yeah. It will become their prime directive. Well, you know, when some states <laughs> are talking about, you know, teaching, like, like intelligent design, or is it? Well, well, education is local. Education is a local thing. Education is not stipulated in the in the Constitution, and whatever is not stipulated there is under control of the states. So states control education. Ta the government cannot tell you what to teach in your schools. They can advise it, but they can't tell you. They can't force it, and they don't. So, so yeah, some school districts will teach whatever they want. And if they don't teach what you want, people take the kids out of school and homeschool them. Mm -hmm. The largest growing sector of homeschoolers are, is the religious community that doesn't want their kids to learn about evolution. That's the largest growing sector of homeschoolers. So, so yeah, you can go in there and try to argue and, and scream. I'm just saying, let's just offer what being scientifically literate can do for you and let people recognize that on their own. I think that's the, that's the kinder, gentler solution. But I think in the end, it's the only solution that will actually work. Because a person has to be self-motivated to want to know it, to want to learn it, and to want to be it. Yeah, so maybe, maybe rather than teaching knowledge, we need to be teaching people how to be self-motivated. Well, yeah, or that's the insight, in part insight, uh, or light a flame where they want to go learn more about that subject. Oh, yeah. I know that, uh, I, I just saw an announcement today that Harvard and MIT released a bunch of, they're releasing uh, free courses online where you can actually get... Uh, you you can actually get a Harvard or MIT education through online courses. Yeah, I mean, and then you'll find out it's the same damn course you could have gotten at the, at the local. <laughs> no, Physics 101 in Harvard is Physics 101 in, you know, Oshkosh Community College. Right. I mean, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole, uh, you know, most of what you do learn in college are, are standard textbooks. So, you know, I think there's... Uh, elite schools are overrated in what you can actually end up learning when you just have access to the same textbooks that they have. Right. Yeah, I guess that really was the big dividing line in the old days of like you literally had to have the physical knowledge in, in books in place and now it's like, well, 
boy, I could learn about thermal dynamics by looking at my phone. Exactly, exactly. That's the great scene in Goodwill Hunting. Oh, where he say, where where he 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 totally slaps that kid down at the bar with he bitch slaps him. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, yes. Yeah, I'm just a uh, you know I'm just a janitor who happens to be super smart. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm super smart. So what? You uh, you spent uh, your hundred thousand dollars. A dollar. You could have gotten a library card and late charges. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. P.S. I hope that I am also a math genius, and you're not a math genius, but uh, but but you could have you know. Otherwise, it's fine. I just met Bill Nye the other night. He's my guy. He's awesome. He's, he's my boy. Oh my God, he's so awesome. All right. In fact, he's coming to town this weekend. I'm gonna we'll be chilling with him, having I dinner with him. I love Bill Nye. He came to a we had a Nerdist Channel launch party, and Bill. Night and I came, and uh, there were other celebrity types there. And Bill Nye was the guy that that got the moat. Like, I, I'm surprised that people didn't rip him apart, <laughs> like just trying to touch him and take pictures. And it was it was really it made me feel like we're doing the right thing when we have a party to represent the things that we're doing and working and caring about. And Bill Nye is the guy that gets the most attention. There it is. That 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 was a nice that was a nice he thing. He walks for down me. the street, there are like legions of people following him. They just start yeah. following him, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Are you guys working together on, on uh, stuff? We we collaborate. He's he's uh, he's what is, uh, executive director of the Planetary Society. Yeah. The society founded by Carl Sagan 32 years ago. Yep. And I'm on the board, so I have many occasions to... We have a board meeting in Washington on Monday. Oh, that's so he's awesome. coming through town. We're going to hang out before then. Anything, anything fun things coming up at the Hayden Planetarium? Uh, well, actually, I'm on a kind of sabbatical now doing okay. these other projects. Uh, but the attendance is going gangbusters. New York City is almost like a tourist renaissance now. Good. I mean, the, the tourism is at an all-time high in New York, actually. International tourism as well. And they go to all the fun museums, and so we see them every time. Now there's like accents and languages that never used to be there when I was growing up as a kid. So the city's doing well. The museums are doing well. And... Uh, my book came out just two, exactly two months ago on space exploration, and it's got put some buzz out there just to get us back, back on a frontier that I think we long lost sight of. So it's well, been keeping me off the streets. Well, you're 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 a very powerful voice uh, in, in in not just science but also in in promoting science education, and I think it's very important. And I'm I'm cannot tell you how excited I am when I tell people that we're doing Star Talk as a video show on the Nerdist channel. Like. It was, I leaked it at a show that I was doing, a live show, and I threw out a bunch of names, and people clapped, and then I said, and we're going to do Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and it turned into, like, deaf comedy jam. Like, I'm not kidding. One guy jumped out of his, he was like, holy shit! Like, he, and people went bananas. So, it, I... Now I have to live up to that. You I really mean, do. It's a lot of pressure. But, uh, but, I'm, but I can't thank you enough for, for letting us uh, put, put Star Talk on the channel. I'm super excited about excellent. it. Excellent. Well, it's a place, I mean, and... and my hope is that not only nerds go there, right? I mean, you want to spread the love. Sure. And nerds already, we already know who we are. Sure, you know, sure, and who sure. we hang out with and sure. who to recite decimals of pi to. You know, so the, 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 real, the real impact will be others recognizing that this is a cool place to be in a cool state of mind and a cool outlook on life, the universe, and everything. Uh, well, to that I say... Three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight nine seven nine three two three eight four six two six four three three eight two seven nine five zero two eight eight four one nine seven one six nine three nine nine three seven five one zero five eight two zero nine seven four nine four four five nine two three zero seven eight one six four zero six two eight six two zero eight nine nine eight six two eight zero three four eight two five three four two one one seven zero six seven nine eight two one four eight zero eight six five two. I think that's all I know. Seven. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I, uh, that, that's the equivalent of just dropping a scientific wiener on the table and being like, here you go. Uh, but, uh, yes, I'm a big, big fan of pie. Excellent. Uh, if it wasn't uh, apparent. But uh, to you, I say, enjoy your burrito, which is what we say at the end of our podcasts. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. It's, you know what? It's exactly, it basically means enjoy the process. That's exactly what enjoy a burrito means. It means don't think about the future, don't think about the fat past, live in the moment and enjoy the process and enjoy enjoy the present. I'll do that. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me again. And you, you're on my set here. I know I'm on yes, your set here. Yes, start talking. It's yes, great. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm just bummed that I don't live in New York so I can't come hang out at more of your tapings. That's what I'll, and I, I'll be hitting L.A. often, so I'm going to pop, you know, I'm going to uh, pop by uninvited. Please, 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 <laughs> please do as much as you want. You're doing Cosmos, right? Yes, yes, Cosmos. Oh, yeah, it's another project. We got time to talk about that. It's not coming out until 2014. Okay. So we got time. Okay, great. We'll We're talk We're scripting about it again. now, and it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to fill those shoes or to occupy the shoes held by Carl Sagan to yes. take Cosmos into the future, the 21st century reboot of that landmark television series. So 13 episodes, airing on Fox, by the way. Oh. People said, Fox. But they're like a bunch of science networks on Fox. That's the most common reaction sure. I get. And I say, well, that's why it belongs on Fox. <laughs> Is that where, isn't that how you, this works? You know? You know, but there is an interesting thing to say for you, where you kind of like, when you're preaching to your crowd, it's great, but that, that's, a, that's a bolder stance of like, no, 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 preach outside the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where you're going to really pull people in. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, you know, again. Good thanks, to see thanks, you. Thanks, Chris. For thanks. Mm -hmm. This is Liam Lynch, and I'm recording live from my home studio with my good friend Steve Agee. Boo. Um, so <laughs> Boo meaning if you, as a ghost, not... If, yeah, right. I get it. If, yeah. if you uh, heard me on the Nerdist uh, podcast, I had mentioned a, a sort of a ghost story. It's, it's more of like a experience than a story with a beginning, middle, and end, but it's still freaky, and I've always wanted to tell it, but... I'm, you know, it's not like I'm going to go on celebrity ghost stories and tell this story because, you know, I don't think they'd have the budget <laughs> to Real, do the reenactments. Um, okay, so here, I'll just get right into it because it's it. This is something that went over many years and and it it's it can take a while. Um, I moved to England in 2000 or no in 1994 uh, and to study and I went over there with my mom the first time to find a place to live and I, I moved into a, a building um, maybe four or five months before school started the building um, had just been renovated and there was an Irish guy that was the landlord and he had just gutted the whole building or if, from, if you're from Liverpool he gutted it <laughs> um, so he was a really nice guy from Ireland, and I think because, you know, I'm Irish and my mom looks like a leprechaun, he was charmed and uh, let me move in to be the first person moving into this building. The building, you know, was, I think it was built in um, the mid-1700s. Oh, shit. And it was above it, the building if you're google mapping looking straight down the building it's shaped like a letter l and the short part of the l is facing a street and this was in city center and it was a, t a place called the tea room and it was a restaurant like a, a cafe that would close at 2 p.m they served breakfast and tea and stuff and then they closed at two 
And then the long part of the L went back into an alley, and it was three-story building. I was on the second floor. Um, and so my apartment was a long hallway, and it was this narrow, super long hallway, and all the rooms were on the right-hand side. There were just, it looked like a, a hotel hall with doors only on one side. I moved into this building. I was the only person living in the building. It had just been renovated. I didn't know a lot about paranormal stuff and that when you renovate some of these old buildings, it stirs things up sometimes. So um, school hadn't started. I was just trying to get acclimated to living in England and let alone a new school and going back yeah. to school. And um, finally, some students came um, from Japan to visit the school that they were going to be coming to the school and I think they were arriving to find their places to live and stuff and so the school contact, contacted me and said hey some other students are coming if you want to come up to the school you can meet some of your fellow classmates since you've been waiting around like a year for school to oh start God. so I went up there and they barely spoke English I mean right. like no English so we were walking back and I kind of motioned like come to have tea or you know and they oh okay yes and I, I went and I we, while we were walking back I got I actually got a Japanese English to Japanese translation dictionary, dictionary yeah. like a little book which didn't have all the words but it helped so we went back to my apartment and um, we're in the, we're at the in a room that's at the very end of the hallway and we had our tea and I was like, you know, more tea? And they're like, oh, yes. And so we got our cups and we stood up to go into the kitchen. Right. So as we get up, we step into the hallway. And I am not kidding. In, I would take lie detectors, uh, anything, truth mm. serums. Um, I believed in ghosts for, <clears throat> I think I believed in the idea of ghosts, but I never had an experience and right. I didn't really really believe that that sort of thing could ever happen right we walked into the hallway we all came around the corner and we all gasped and at the end of the hallway this is these walls are white this the carpet is like gray the door at the end is white it's like this bright long hallway at the end of the hallway near the first door which would be like a closet door there is a woman in that was solid black but you could see it, she was standing and she was standing near the door just looking at the door and she had on a super tight-waisted dress that went down to her down to the to her, the Ankles, floor yeah. and she had little boots with heels and her it had a boost like a is it a you know the thing, not a bustier, a uh, the th uh, thing the bustle. on the bustle on the yeah. back, like where the butt kind of goes out on the back of the yeah. skirt, and like in a high collar, and her hair up in a bun, but <laughs> solid standing shadow with detail that you could see clearly, and and I'm frozen with absolute terror, <laughs> and the Japanese, one of the Japanese guys says woman and then as I'm looking at it it is just instantly gone like you're staring at something and then it just disappears and that's yeah. actually what scared me more than the fact this is a ghost or anything it was to see something that is in front of you 
disappear really actually is there and then yeah. is just not there right. it's hard for your brain to deal with that and we got tea and we sat down and and we were all scared and i was like you know he's like woman i was like i i saw i'm like okay and i got paper i'm like draw what you saw and we all drew this exact same lady and so now we're dealing with the dictionary trying to talk about holy shit we just saw a ghost <laughs> so um later um yeah. school starts months yeah. go by i'm uh this apartment was extremely cold and the um there was no insulation and you could see your breath in the apartment <sighs> at, um, my door to my bedroom had about three or four inch gap between the bottom of the door and the floor <sighs> and so i would get, take a little space heater and put it in my bedroom and i'd close the door and i'd shove t- a towel under the door and i'd heat up the room for a few hours before i was going to go to bed and then i'd take the towel out and i'd turn the heater off and i'd go to bed um i went to bed one night and the, i'd leave the hallway light on and I'm, I'm sitting, I'm just got in bed and I'm laying there and it's like that quiet where you're about to fall asleep. And then I hear, Ugh, fuck. Not my front door. Your bedroom. My door. bedroom door. Fuck. And I open my, I, uh, I'm so scared because I think that there's somebody breaking in. But well, then, I, but, then in. but then I <laughs> so realized the front door never opened and I'm on the second floor and there's no way to get to my windows and the windows you couldn't get in in them from the outside and my ne- my front door never opened and I, and and you yeah your mind's racing and then I hear again Ugh. like a definite knuckle against the door door <laughs> moving in the frame yeah and I look and I'm like in bed and I lean up and I look over the end of my bed and it's under the door there's two black like things breaking the light of somebody standing right up against the door and I'm just quiet and I'm I've never <laughs> I've never ever felt that level of terror like I was actually it was terror yeah so I lay there and and I just like pulled I literally pulled the blankets over my head and curled up and I was awake all night with my head under the covers like I pull the covers open just a little bit so I could get like breathe and like get some cool <laughs> cool breaths of air and then I in that yeah I was four like did the knocking keep happening no and then I looked up and the boots aren't there and I'm like is this gonna happen the rest of the time living here so Ugh, maybe that. a month later it happens again <sighs> um the way this building was I'd go in a side door on the side of this cafe and I'd go down a long hall there's a staircase you'd go up the staircase at the end and there was a landing you go up and again and then there's a landing which was just the door to my apartment right and no other p- p- people and then you'd go up and up again to another landing there was a door and then there was a, an apartment the above floor, me yeah. and I was still the only person living there um I I got some my friends uh from Norway I brought them and said, hey, there's open apartments here. It's really nice. You should move in. So I had a friend of mine living upstairs in the apartment and uh, some Norwegian students living in the uh, flat below mine. So um, this happened again with, I went to bed, a couple knocks on my door, feet standing there. I'm just standing there. What the fuck? (laughs) Terrorized. I didn't say anything to anybody. In the hallway outside my door on this landing, um, 
there was motion sensor. So if I opened my door, the light sensor would come on because it was shone right down where my door was. So any movement made the lights come on and then they would go off like in two minutes or something. So so then I'm at my, I'm that same like week, I get this really knocking on my front door I go, and I'm thinking it's a f- one of my friends so I come, I'm like coming coming I'm like running down the hallway and I go to the door and, and the door's knocking as I'm approaching it and I feel it and I open the handle and I open the handle up and it's just a dark stairwell which means and by and no and I lean my head out to look and the lights come on as soon as I lean my head out so Something, so there's nobody something, there to make the there's lights nobody go there. on. It's impossible to step in that hallway with the, with the, without activating the lights. The knocking on the door happened numerous times and scared the hell out of me every time. <clears throat> so then I go down. So so then one night I this happens with the ghost outside my door. I wake up. I'm super scared. I go over to my bedroom window and I look down. And if you remember, like the building being shaped like an L and I'm down towards one end. I can, I'm in, I can look at the back of the, of the cafe and I can look through the windows of the cafe and I'd eat breakfast there every morning. It was just like a little tiny little, you know, cafe place. So it's three in the morning. I look out my back windows and the ladies that work at the place, you know, the ladies that work behind the counter are there and they're just sitting in the dark um, cafe reading. What? At three in the morning, and they have a little tiny light. What the fuck, dude? And I'm like, that scared me so bad because I just got scared by the ghost. And then I look out my window, and I, I look down into an alley, and I'm on the second floor, and I'm looking down to the first floor, cat a corner, you know, to my building. And the women are just sitting there in the middle of the night in a closed up cafe with all the lights off reading. So now I'm freaking out. I go down the next morning. I go down for breakfast and they're there and, and I'm, and, oh, and no. I didn't want to say anything. Say. This is really bumming me out. What? Well, maybe I, you don't know. Oh, okay. uh, maybe you do I know. Don't. I don't know. No, I haven't so, heard this story. Uh, okay. I just so, think I know where the story is. Maybe going. not though. So I'm play it off. And then next month I see them again down sitting up all night i can't figure it out so so then i go down there and i say hey um do you guys ever have any weird things go on down here like you know ghost stuff and they kind of look at each other and they they're like every night we put the chairs up on all the tables and we lock up and when we come in in the morning the chairs are all down and in the corner in the corner and she said and then she said and yesterday we were down the kitchen for this restaurant is in the basement she said yesterday we were both down in the kitchen getting ready and making food and a man walked through the kitchen and we thought he was a a burglar and so we ran after him and said, sir, sir. And he walked around the corner and I was walking behind him and he walked right through the wall. <laughs> he walked right into the wall. <laughs> and she said a couple times we've seen this man and he comes, you know, from like 
an area where there's just like a cooler or something and he comes around the corner through the kitchen makes a right goes out into the hallway and then there's a there's a wall on the side and he turns and goes right through into the wall so and i said can i see where you where it was so they take me down to the basement and when you go in the basement you realize that this building's from the 1700s it feels old and they show me this wall and they're like right here he came down the right around here and and walked right through this wall and i was like oh my god so we're all freaking out about ghost stuff so then months go by (laughs) um i i keep I'm, i'm having the knocking on my front door i go down to breakfast and the guy the irishman that i rent the apartment from he's the landlord comes in Hello, Liam. How are you doing? And he sits down. He sits down with me and eats breakfast with me. So then I look at him and I notice he has on a Mason's ring. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, so this guy's a Mason. He owns buildings in Liverpool and stuff. Okay, that's interesting. I was like, oh, you're a Mason. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Mason. And, you know, my father was and, and his father. And so. So now I'm wondering, is there weird Mason stuff going on here? So I nonchalantly asked ladies, you know, this is a couple days later, you know, I'm uh, just up in the middle of the night and I looked down and I saw you guys were down here. I was like, were you guys, Why? what were you guys doing? Uh, you were both sitting there reading at like three in the morning. And they look at each other and they're like, well, and then like, they're like kind of quiet and like, are, you know, the man that owns the building. Um, has the Masons meet here? It's a Mason meeting place. They meet in three in the morning. They meet. They have all night secret meetings in the basement of this building. See, I thought you were gonna say they. And so the women. The women weren't really there. Oh, they were there. They were they were serving tea for all the Masons, but they're not allowed in the meeting. So they're sitting upstairs waiting in case those guys need any tea or anything. So. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So then I talk to him about the ghost, and I find out that this building used to be um, a huge, hugely famous in Liverpool horror house. Nice. And the, but not like, you know, because it was a port town. It was the, the richest port in all of England. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, this was for a place that, government officials like sailors weren't going through there these were like really expensive dignitaries yeah dignitaries like really beautiful educated women uh that would be with these these you know government officials and people that could afford them so they um this woman owned the building and if you guys like a woman owning a whole building in a city she was really smart. I'm, she's probably like a Heidi Fleiss type of woman. Um, and she owned this place. And so then it started clicking in my head that this was her building. And what is she doing? I'm seeing her outside doors, knocking on doors. She was a madam. So she was probably making rounds where she'd listen into rooms and not give a tap on doors to check in on her girls in the yeah. rooms. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and the woman that we saw in the hallway looked like she was from that time and she was standing outside a door listening and so it was like these knocks so my friend stein that lives upstairs started um he was you know he's this really crazy guy and he was very loud and 
I would go up to his floor, and we're in his hallway, and there's a knock at the door. I open the door, no one there. Again, just like in my apartment. And he's like hanging up all these pictures in the hallway and being really loud. And one of the times we were up there, um, we're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden we hear this loud bang, and the hammer, which he had just set down, it was the sound of it landing in the going down the stairs and landing down on the um landing of the staircase like the hammer flew down the hallway and out the door right and was down the hallway um then he would come into his apartment and take off his shoes and he was being really loud and playing music and stuff and um i actually went up to say hey man can you turn it down a little bit and and while i'm in his apartment the door opens and i hear all this sound and all of his shoes are out in the hall like and I, I imagine that I don't know this for a fact but I imagine if they were kicking someone out they'd probably grab the guy's boots and throw him out in the hall because you have to go out to get your boots or something it just seemed really strange so so then the uh, the other layer to this story and all these paranormal things that are occurring is that one day I'm eating breakfast down there and these people from the college there's a college across the street john moore's university and there's a a graveyard across the street as well and um the people from john moore's came over and um they were saying excuse me we're um we're studying the williamson tunnels and we've been doing like seismic mapping of liverpool and everything and apparently there was a mason and he privately funded just miles and miles of secret underground tunnels through the entire city that the Masons would use. No way. And he, they had carved out ballrooms. They had all this stuff under the city. He never asked anybody. He just did it. And some of the entrances that this team had found were in the center of train tunnels. You walk into a train tunnel really far. One stone on the side is lever is balancing on a center point and if you turn it it would rotate and lead you into a secret tunnel um one of the entrances they found was in the graveyard across the street in one of the tombs you could go into the tomb and slide back the you know the the tomb lid and there were stairs going down i mean it's like video game shit um (laughs) so he they were like we, you know, a lot of the tunnels are filled in with rubble and debris or the streets would collapse. Um, and the guy said, uh, one of the tunnels we believe leads to your basement. And we go down, oh, I go down there with them. Fuck. It's the spot in the wall where the dude, a, where the dude, was secret went, entrance. it was, that was where the entrance was exactly where they saw the ghost go right through. So it basically ghost masons still, and it was so that the Masons, without being seen, because they're all important men in the in the town, without being seen, could go to the whorehouse. So they were meeting in the basement of the whorehouse, um, using secret tunnels coming from all different areas of town, secretly moving oh. under the streets, coming to the whorehouse, having their meetings in this basement, where they're still having them today. And um, that's amazing. Yeah, blew my blew my brain out. So Literally. that's that's basically the story. But it, I mean, anything that has ghosts, 
cores and secret tunnels. I'm in. That's, I'm in. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it, it was a. Uh, it was definitely crazy. What What was really crazy was this sort of this story happening over time and unraveling with just constant getting getting the shit scared out of me uh, by really paranormal things happening. I found, I, I can't remember the name, woman's name right now, but I later, when I learned what her name was, she came to the door, knocked on my bedroom door again. I actually talked to her and I said to her, I know this is your building. Thank you for letting, I'm just staying here. Like, I, you know, I, I, I know about you and I respect you. And like, I was like basically saying what I would say if the woman was in front of Please me. Please don't knock on my yes, door. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But I basically, like, I talked to her and she was, I could see her feet. She stayed outside my door the entire time I spoke. So I, I, she never said anything. I never heard her voice. But um, she was visual and she could definitely move and interact with solid objects. Because she was throwing shoes in the hall. She was knocking on doors and... I don't know why she obviously came right through my front door without it needing to open. So, Ugh. Ugh. no thanks. So, so that's all, folks. Good night. Think Good about job, Liam. think about ghosts. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs> now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.